Today, we're going to learn about vehicles, dialogue, and MVPs. Welcome everyone to the 47th episode of the Game Dev Field Guide. I am your host, Zaccavelli. You can find me on Twitter at underscore Zaccavelli underscore and tune in for the occasional Game Dev stream on twitch.tv slash Zaccavelli underscore. We also have an open community discord. I'll leave a link in the show notes and it's a really good place to connect with other game devs of the beginner and intermediate level. We do things like a monthly game jam, advanced discussions, technical help sessions, and the Game Dev Challenge. Speaking of the Game Dev Challenge, let's go over to that part of the show. The Game Dev Challenge is the part of the show where I provide a prompt to the listeners, and they submit a post and the community votes on it. The post with the most votes is the winner, and there's a leaderboard and everything, and the winner's post gets read live on the show. Last episode's Game Dev Challenge was to give an example of your favorite co-op game with respect to its co-op category, symmetry, roles, and emotions. If you remember, last episode was about co-op game design, and yeah, we kind of talked about these four classifications, uh, different ways of breaking up and identifying co-op game systems. But anyways, we do have a winner for the episode 46 Game Dev Challenge, and that winner is Shiniko. Shiniko's post says, For the episode 46 Game Dev Challenge, my favorite co-op game would have to be the Left 4 Dead series. And I'm sort of paraphrasing here a lot because it's a couple paragraphs, but... I used to play this game on the console with my friends and siblings when I was growing up. It's a zombie for survival game made up of four main characters that you can play and you go through various campaigns where you have to escape the zombie apocalypse. At the start of each round you get various items to help like a med kit, bombs, and different weapons. And it's a good cooperative game where you have to utilize what you have to help your teammates. Or you could always mess with your friends and just take all the items for yourself. This is a slight spoiler but at the end of the campaign there's a huge fight and race to reach your final pickup location. However at this stage zombies will never stop coming after you so you have to leave or you'll get overrun. It's possible to have all four characters survive but with how chaotic everything is it's really difficult if someone can't get to the pickup location in time. I've had many moments where my team would make it to the final location, but one person is left behind. We either have to make the decision to fight our way back through the horde of zombies, or just leave them to die. Sometimes we could all die in the process just for rescuing them too. It was very intense, but also really fun. Personally, I think this is a really good example of emotional co-op kind of coinciding with the intense game design. It's a really cool, almost cinematic moment when you have to decide whether or not to leave your teammates behind to escape, knowing that the odds are almost impossible to go back. It's the hardest point of the game. And yeah, it's a really cool way to reflect the kind of emotions the game was going for. After all, the title of the game is Left 4 Dead. So yeah, it's a really cool mirroring of the theme of the game with the sort of co-op game design. And I think Shiniko did a great job at pointing this out. 
So congrats to Shiniko for winning the episode 46 at Game Dev Challenge. For this episode's Game Dev Challenge, that would be episode 47, we're going to go back to something we did last year, and that was the Game Dev Resolutions. So your challenge is to go and post your resolution for this year. And I think last time I did this, I kind of gave some advice on what I think makes a good resolution. My 2021 resolution was to participate in five game jams. And I picked five specifically because I knew it was something I could accomplish. And I will say, as a game dev this year, I've gotten a lot better. And a good part of that is because of my participation in these game jams. One of the most impressive resolutions I saw was Ark on our community Discord, who made the resolution to participate in every single game, or monthly game jam, rather, of the year. And I'm not sure if Ark finished a game for every monthly game jam, but I know Ark participated in every one and released a couple unfinished projects, but still... If you saw the monthly Game Jam stream where I play all the games from the monthly Game Jam, you'll know that Ark left this year kind of out, went out with a bang uh, with Ark's best game they've made all year. And so as a game dev, I think a really good resolution is to pick a number of Game Jams that you want to participate and go and do it. You don't have to do one every month. That's a pretty insane challenge. I'm sure Ark will agree. But I think somewhere in the realm of like one to four is probably good for most people. Maybe you want to just improve a specific skill in your game dev repertoire. Maybe you want to get better at art and you do a pixel dailies challenge where you draw a piece of pixel art every day. Maybe you make it a little bit more achievable and do it like a 30-day stretch and do that, I don't know, three times a year. Whatever you decide to pick as your resolution, I guess my best advice would just be make sure that it's accomplishable. Don't make the resolution that you're going to make a 100% science-based dragon MMO because that's just going to put a lot of crazy stress and strain on yourself, and that would be hard for even an expert dev. So I would try and pick something that's a little more tangible, while still being a slight challenge. So yeah, if you want to participate in this episode's Game Dev Challenge, just go post your Game Dev resolution to the Game Dev Challenge channel on the community Discord. There's an open invite link in the show notes. With the Game Dev Challenge out of the way, let's move on over to the body of the episode. Today's episode is a quick tips episode, and it's been a while since we've done one, so remember that it's just a few topics that are individually not enough to make content for a whole episode, but they are important small things that I wanted to cover. Today's topics will be vehicles, dialogue, and the MVP or minimal viable product. Let's start with vehicles. When I say I have some quick tips for vehicles, I think that some of these tips may apply to games specifically about vehicles, but I mean them mostly in the context of games where vehicles are not the main focus. I guess to make that more clear, I don't mean um, racing games like Forza, where everything is about the vehicles. These tips will be mostly geared towards how a game like Halo has vehicles in it, but it's definitely not the main feature. I hope to get you thinking about vehicles in a way where you consider vehicles as an alternative move system. So where should we start? Well, first, let's start with the idea of what an alternative movement system is. 
An alternative movement system is exactly what it sounds like. It's just an additional way to get from point A to point B. Take uh, Spider-Man games, for example. You could run around the city on the ground, or you can swing from building to building. Oftentimes you'll see alternative movement systems as power-ups. Uh, take a raccoon Mario's ability to glide, for instance. Alternative movement systems are great for offering your players choice and a depth of how to get around. And the key part to them, I think, is that it is a choice and not required. Oftentimes, this is the first misstep games make with vehicles. A required vehicle section often does not work, and it doesn't work because it betrays the idea that vehicles are an alternative movement system. A required vehicle section sets the player back because they have to relearn a basic function in the game, which is how you move around. With an alternative movement system, you allow the player to explore vehicles while using the fact that they could always just run as a crutch. In other words, you aren't setting them back with no options. They could always get out of the vehicle they don't understand and walk, or maybe explore the vehicle at their own pace. Don't get me wrong, some really good games have required vehicle sections. Kingdom Hearts has the gummy ships, Mass Effect has the Mako, but I get the feeling that these sections were designed as mini-games rather than alternative movement systems. And mini-games are certainly a way of including vehicles, and I have nothing against them, but I would argue that vehicles are much more memorable and fun in games where they're designed as alternative movement and not mini-games. Let's now focus on my second tip for vehicles and games, and that would be that they should be unique and interesting. It should have trade-offs and be an actual purposeful decision for the player on whether or not to use the vehicle. I think a mistake you could fall into design-wise is that vehicles are the same as walking but faster. Certainly faster may be one of the benefits, but I think it may have to have some drawbacks as well to make it a meaningful choice for the player. For instance, faster may be more dangerous. Now we have an interesting trade-off. You could walk to your destination, maybe even do it stealthily and take the safe route, or you could drive extremely fast and reckless, and although it may be more dangerous, it also offers the benefits of speed and surprise. The idea of a vehicle being an alternative movement system works only if it's truly an alternative with trade-offs and not just a straight-up upgrade. And the last thing I want to mention about designing your vehicles and vehicle design for video games in general is how to make them actually fun. This is really dependent on having good vehicle physics. And I think I talked about this in the physics for video games episode, but it's important to have a really basic understanding of how the actual formulas work that govern how the vehicle moves. You don't need a super high level understanding. Oftentimes I would say all you need is your fundamental high school physics and you'd be fine. This is especially true because in most cases in games with a vehicle, we aren't after a total simulation. A game about vehicles, where vehicles are the main feature, like Forza that I mentioned earlier, those can oftentimes be about total simulation, and in those cases you probably want to have a deep understanding of the physics. Getting the gear ratios and tire friction and all that right is why people are really into racing simulators. But in a game with vehicles and not about vehicles, we're really just after a fun alternative way to get from point A to point B. So we just need an approximation 
of the physics that results in something fun. And that's why I say you probably only need to know the basics. Understanding the basic physics will let you experiment with everything from an agile helicopter to a barreling tank. And through playtesting and tweaking the physics, I'm sure you can find something that works. Another thing that makes vehicles fun to drive is adding juice. And we've talked about juice lots of times before, but it's basically just subtle things that really bring your game to life and make it a lot more fun to interact with. Adding juice and perception tricks are really good ways to improve the overall fun of a vehicle. For instance, if you ever want to make it feel like your vehicle is going really fast, maybe after a boost or something, you should increase the field of view of the camera. If you have the field of view zoom out while boosting and slowly return to normal, it won't affect the in-game physics at all, but it will create the illusion of extreme speed. Oftentimes, creating a fun vehicle in a video game is about pulling off these illusions and keeping the player's perception of what the vehicle is and the in-game physics of what the vehicle does in sync. A big hefty tank should not get knocked around very easy and other things should bounce off it. A super fast sports car should accelerate quickly and handle nicely. Using these perception and illusion tricks and a good core physics system allows you to keep these two things in sync. That would be your player's perception and how the vehicle is actually behaving. Those are all my tips for vehicles. Don't worry, we'll recap them at the end. For now, let's move over to the next topic. The next topic is dialogue. And to be clear, this won't be tips for actually writing dialogue. That's more of a creative writing topic. But rather, this will be implementing dialogue into your games, using it in game design and character and world building. Like I said, this will be like the specifically video game parts of dialogue. If you want to know how to actually write good dialogue, I would suggest maybe looking up some writing resources and study dialogue in the media that you like. For instance, I like how Joss Whedon writes the dialogue in his TV shows like Firefly and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So whenever I write dialogue, I try to learn and emulate how he does it. But yeah, I'm not a good person to go to for creative writing. Um, I'm good for the implementation part, but if you want creative writing tips, I suggest you go find. There's probably other really good podcasts or really good resources anywhere on the internet, and I suggest you seek those out. Back to implementing them for your games, the nice thing about dialogue systems is that they usually act the same way in most games. This means that you can build it once and reuse it. For a lot of indie games, because we can't afford voice acting, dialogue is going to come in the form of pop-up text boxes. And since this is a very repeatable thing, there's likely already great tools out there for it. If you know your game is going to be very story-driven, this may be one of those instances where you buy a tool or plugin and build your game around it. I'm not sponsored by this at all, but I did recently buy the Dialogue System for Unity by Pixel Crushers on the Unity Asset Store. It's currently 50% off until December 31st, and I think it's totally worth it for half off price. You could build your own Dialogue System yourself for free, and if it's a really small scoped project, it wouldn't be that hard at all. But I think it's nice to have one sort of pre-made and ready to go for all future games that I'm going to make. 
but whether you buy it or build it, what are some things that you want it to do? Well, I think the number one functionality would probably be to display or read text when you run into an NPC. And this isn't so bad. I would consider this maybe a linear or cinematic style. And as far as work goes, this would be pretty simple to build. Where it starts to get hairy is when you want to talk back to the NPC. If you want real choice, then you'll need some kind of branching dialogue system, and that's where things get really out of scope for a small indie. Branching dialogue has a way of ballooning into a huge undertaking and is something that can blow the scope of your game easily. So yeah, I just wanted to bring up that danger and kind of put up a warning sign. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it, but I think you should just be aware of the scope challenges that come with branching dialogue. Let's talk about the other kinds of dialogues and what kind of systems work with different kinds of games. The first core thing you have to answer about your game when considering this is that you have to decide if dialogue is part of the game or part of the story. Dialogue being part of the game is like how it is in RPGs like Skyrim. In other words, your dialogue choices affect the game world and your character. In a cinematic game like The Last of Us, dialogue is part of the story. It wouldn't really make sense to give dialogue options because you're telling a linear story in The Last of Us. So with the knowledge that branching dialogues can be challenging, you can ask yourself this question and know that unless it serves the game, you probably can go with something more linear for time and effort's sake. But let's say you have decided that dialogue is part of the game and you want to do a branching dialogue system. Well, I think that what you have to hold core to your design philosophy is that it has to feel like it's giving the player agency. No different than a movement system gives the player agency in how they'd like to move around the world. A branching dialogue system should have meaningful choices and strategy. You could even think of play styles based on how the player is playing the character. As a game designer, you consider the pros and cons of an aggressive playstyle when it comes to combat, and because we've decided branching dialogue is part of the game, the same should go for dialogue. What are the pros and cons of an aggressive negotiator, for instance? This is the kind of mindset I think you should be in when designing a branching dialogue system. Let's say that you've realized that dialogue being part of the game is not really necessary to the game you're trying to make, but you do want to tell a story. Let's talk about linear story dialogue. In these cases, when considering the story and game as separate parts, I think it's a good tip to allow the player to decide how much of each they are going to participate in. There are some people who will skip all the dialogue no matter how great the story is because what they care about is the gameplay. And on the other hand, there will be people who will be frustrated if they are rushed to gameplay because they deeply care about the story. And you will have people all over the spectrum in between. Ideally, you want to cater to as many people as possible. I think skippable dialogue is a good idea for those who are there for the gameplay, and optional further or secret dialogue is good for players who are there for the story. Oftentimes you can make the world of your game feel vast and deep with a few well-placed journal entries, audio logs, books, etc. The beauty of this 
is that you can tell about your world without having to make art assets to show it. With really creative and good writing in a journal entry, for instance, you can flesh out your world without necessarily having to make the art pieces for that. Think of bonus and secret dialogue as a sort of low-cost world-building tool. Speaking of world-building and character-building, one of my favorite styles of dialogue is called barks. And I have definitely mentioned barks in a previous episode, but barks are a form of contextual dialogue, usually in the audio format, although I guess you could do them text-based as well. You know how I usually like to mention a gold standard game. In my opinion, the best barks of any recent game, and maybe ever, are in Halo Infinite. I just recently completed the campaign, and the barks for the enemies and allies are great. A good example is how if you have the sniper and you miss a few consecutive shots, an enemy might shout, do not fear, he can't aim. Little audio cues like this from the characters breathe so much life into the game. The AI is literally roasting you <laughs> because you have bad aim, and it just makes the game really funny and charming. Barks can also be used to aid the game design. For instance, think of a character announcing their alt in a, in a hero shooter like Overwatch or a MOBA. A character announcing their alt might tell everyone or give them a hint or some kind of feedback that they should prepare to counter it. So yeah, I just wanted to mention Barks as a cool narrative and world building and game design aid because they're my personal favorite form of dialogue in video games. Let's switch gears to the last topic of today. And lastly, I wanted to talk about the MVP or minimum viable product. You might have also heard other terms for this like a vertical slice. Basically, this is the idea that you should get a complete snapshot of your game done as soon as possible. By a complete snapshot, I mean something that is the final experience but maybe lacking all the content. This means you have a small, complete experience of your game that is polished, with no placeholder art, and it's in working order with sound and everything. This is sort of the opposite of what I used to do. I used to get the entire code of the game working before I added art or sound or anything, and while I still sort of do it in that direction, starting with code and ending with sound, I try to integrate sound and art at least a little bit together simultaneously. The advantage of working in this way is that you can get feedback faster for the final product. Good feedback is oftentimes the most valuable thing for moving your game in the right direction, and it's hard to get good feedback for a partially complete experience. People can't give you the best feedback unless they have the complete picture or snapshot of what the game is like. When it's incomplete, you have in your head what it's going to be like, but other people can't see that unless they get a vertical slice. Not to mention, having something relatively complete early makes your marketing efforts a lot easier because you can show the complete picture early. And it has another benefit of allowing you to have a strong reference point for what the rest of the game should be. If you make three really solid levels that people love, then you know, okay, I just need to make 15 more of these. As opposed to doing it the other way where you're slowly figuring it out on the way you might not start making good levels until level 14 and then by the time you finish the levels that you started with aren't as good as the ones you've made most recently and you probably will have to remake them the point is to get a solid core as fast as possible and then tweak it 
from there. Getting to a minimum viable product or vertical slice sort of makes you lock in some decisions early about the game, and because of that, it's also a great method to defend against scope creep. I think this might be one of those tips that's maybe personal preference, but I do believe objectively this is a good strategy for making games. And as I move my indie game business forward, I think this is going to be a top priority. And I think you'll hear a lot of people across many industries talk about the importance of getting a minimum viable product as fast as possible. So yeah, when you start your next project, or maybe you're halfway through a project right now, try getting to the MVP as fast as possible and see if that helps. We covered three different topics today, so I think we'll have to do a recap Remember that first we talked about vehicles, specifically we mentioned games where vehicles are a part of the game and not the whole point of the game. Think of Halo rather than Forza. Remember that a good implementation of vehicles may look like an alternative movement system. This means that the vehicle is mostly not required, but is more of just an alternative choice to get from point A to point B. The way the vehicle changes up the movement system should be unique and interesting. There's not much point to an alternative movement system if it's not a true alternative with trade-offs. Normal movement but faster is not that unique or interesting, so try to have deeper trade-offs like faster movement is more dangerous, slower movement like walking is more stealthy. Remember we also talked about how to make our vehicles fun and have these sort of interesting trade-offs? Other than good design, we want to consider what kind of physics are fun. It's a lot easier to make a fun vehicle physics system when you understand the basic formulas governing the vehicle's movement. This is often a quick Google and totally worth looking into. Don't forget juice tactics when it comes to vehicles. Things like giving your player a sense of speed by sliding up the field of view is a good example. Lastly, try to remember to keep your player's expectation and perception in line with how the vehicle is behaving. If you're driving a big tank, other things should probably bounce off of it instead of small cars being able to push a tank around, for instance. The second topic we covered today was dialogue, and we talked about it not in the context of how to write dialogue, but rather how to implement and the different styles of dialogue systems. No matter what kind of dialogue you're going for, remember that it's a good thing to make once and reuse for all your games. Or I guess it's more accurate to say it's something easy to reuse. Because of this, there's already some good tools out there. I mentioned the dialogue system for Unity, which is on sale right now. We also talked about the differences in a game where the dialogue is part of the story, versus a game where the dialogue is part of the game. The latter often takes the form of a branching dialogue system. Be careful with the branching dialogue systems if you choose to do one. They have a way of growing into an unmanageable amount of work and may ruin the scope of your game. There are much more simple, more linear ways to implement dialogue. We talked about cinematic dialogue and my personal favorite, Barks. Barks are a really cool narrative and world building tool. And all they are is contextual dialogue lines that make it feel like the game is more alive. Stuff like NPCs actually voicing their reactions to what is going on in the world. Or maybe a character announcing the use of their ultimate in a hero shooter or MOBA. And the last thing we talked about today were minimum viable products or MVPs. 
Oftentimes when making a game, you want to get to the MVP or vertical slice as fast as possible. Something like a few complete levels or a complete game loop with final art and sound. This will help you show the full picture to others and allow you to get good feedback because they'll have a full and complete understanding or at least a more solid understanding of what the game is when everything has come together. In addition to this, it can help defend against scope creep because it forces you to make some early decisions and it can be a guiding light for the rest of the project. So yeah, that's all the topics I had for today's episode. It's been a while since we've done a quick tips episode, but I think it's a pretty useful thing to have every now and then because it lets me cover those smaller topics and maybe I can offer some niche and applicable advice. If you ever want to suggest a small topic for a quick tips episode, you can always tweet me at underscore Zaccavelli underscore. We also have a Patreon where you can vote on episode topics and even suggest episode topics every now and then. A link for that will be in the show notes. Don't forget the community Discord. I'll leave an open link for that in the show notes as well. And we should have the bonus episode for December coming out soon. There was a little bit of a delay with our guest in the holidays. And that's totally fine. I told the guests not to stress themselves with the holidays. So yeah, I know that may be late, but I promise it's coming. With that, I think I'm going to sign off. I have been Zeccavelli, and I heard about that missed sniper shot's bark in Halo from a friend. Sadly, I never got to hear it because I'm a cracked shot. Oh, 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 o